This is Pastor Eric. Thanks so much for checking out our Life Church podcast. We pray that it's a blessing to you. For more information about Life Church, check us out at lifechurchutah.com. you for being here this morning. Take your notes out for today's message. We're talking about a very important question. Last week we addressed this with the congregation. If you weren't here last week, uh, I, uh, I didn't leave a space on your notes. I should have done that, but last week I did. This week I failed to do that. But this is the, the, the question that you need to ask over every decision that you're going to be facing this year and, and, and how, how, how this question might impact the decision that you're going to make. It's, in my mind, it's probably one of the most important questions that you can ask. And so write it somewhere in your notes, but it's simply this, what is the wisest thing to do? I was talking to one of our sisters before coming in today, and she said, oh, last week's message, I've been asking that all week long. It is transforming my week. What is the why? I'd never thought of that before. What is the wisest thing to do in any given situation? That's what this whole, this whole issue is about, what we're talking about here. What is the wisest thing for you to do? Now, the Apostle Paul put it this way in Ephesians chapter 5. Be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. So we talked last week about how this question can change the direction of 2017 for you, can begin to put you on a wiser course for your life and keep you from, from winding up a year from now, um, asking yourself, wondering to yourself, how in the world did I end up like this? How could I have been so dumb? How could I have been so blind? How could I have been so foolish? And as I said last week, it's not a matter of right versus wrong, not what is right or wrong. It's not a matter of what is legal versus what is illegal. It's not even a matter of what you like versus what you don't like. Because there are many things that are right that will still ruin your life. Many things that are legal that can still ruin your life. There are certainly things that you may like, but may ruin your life. I may like eating chocolate cake every single meal. That doesn't mean it's a good thing for me. So it's not a matter of right or wrong, like or dislike. It's a matter of wisdom. Asking yourself before every decision you make this year, what is the wisest thing for me to do? Uh, like the Apostle Paul said, don't live like fools, 
but like those who are wise. So what's the wisest thing to do? Now, this week we're going to talk in this context uh, about hanging with dead people. That's the title I gave to the message today, Hanging with Dead People. And I asked our staff this past week what they thought I might be going to talk about with the subject matter of hanging with dead people. They kind of all sat there and, and giggled and had no idea really. And, and a couple of them thought, well, are you going to talk about zombies? You know, and, and I know that zombies are kind of a hot issue right now, but, uh, and we have this TV and entertainment stuff that's going like, uh, what is it? The, the Walking Dead, I guess, is one of the shows and uh, World War Z and all of these, you know, things that have come out in the last few years and everything. Uh, so we all laughed in staff meeting about the possibility of doing a sermon on zombies. Well, to put your mind at ease this morning, I am not going to talk with you about hanging with zombies today. No, what I want to talk with you about is the people that you live with every day, the people you work around every day. Did you know that anyone who isn't a follower of Jesus Christ, in other words, does not have them as the core, the center, the savior of their life, they are called in God's word dead. They are spiritually dead. Now, before you get offended at me for saying that, let me share with you what God's word says. And I could share a lot of scriptures. This is just one of them. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. Paul says, once you were, what? Dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. So that tells us succinctly right there what our problem was. You were dead. Why? Because of your disobedience and sin. That, that kills you. So that tells us the point of what God's trying to get across to us, that sin is a killer. And at one time, every one, one of us were dead because of our trespasses, because of our sins. Dead in our spirit. We were dead in our fellowship with God. We were dead to eternal life. And Paul goes on then and says in that same chapter of Ephesians, verses 3 through 6, all of us used to be just like they are. Our lives expressing the evil within us, doing every wicked thing that our passions and our evil thoughts might lead us into. We started out bad, being born with evil natures, and were under God's anger just like everyone else. Wow, what a condition we were in. But verse 4 here now becomes a transition verse. It says, but God is so rich in mercy. Hallelujah. He loved us so much that even though we were spiritually dead and doomed by our sins, he gave us back our lives again when he raised Christ from the dead. Only by his undeserved favor have we ever been saved and lifted us up from the grave into glory um, uh, um, along with Christ where we sit with him in the heavenly realms all because of what Christ Jesus did. So here, Paul says, our condition was grave. No, no pun intended on that. Our condition was grave. We were dead. We, we were under a curse of judgment because of our sins. No hope 
no way out. But because God has so much love, has so much mercy for us, he gave us a way out that takes us from death unto life. When Jesus rose from the grave, it broke the death stranglehold that was upon us. And so even though my friend stepped into uh, eternity last night, he didn't, he didn't die. He was made eternally alive in, in the instant of a second as, as heavenly escorts came to take him into heaven. So when, when I say God considers the world to be dead, I'm saying that all of us were dead at one time. We were the original walking dead. But when we gave our lives to Jesus Christ, we who were dead came to life. So the truth is, almost everything that the world throws at you, that promises you, that says this will give you everything that you want, all the fulfillment, all the joy, that you it's the way to really live, almost all of that in reality only digs you deeper into sin's bondage, which ultimately leads to death. But in Jesus Christ, we are set free from that curse, from that bondage, from that destiny, and we're made alive in Christ unto God. And that's what the Apostle Paul meant when he said in verse 5, even though we were spiritually dead and doomed by our sins, he gave us back our lives again when he raised Christ from the dead. Now, because we have the joy, and many of you have been saying, amen, you've, you've responded because you know what has happened in your life. You have moved from that death to, to life. You have moved from that bondage to the freedom. And because we have enjoyed that, because we have the joy of that within our lives, we therefore now have an obligation to those who don't know to give them the same message, to lead them from death to life. And that's why we call our church Life Church. It's because we have this burden to lead others out of death and into life, out of darkness and into light. So the, the question then becomes, kind of in light of what I was talking about last week, where the, this, this important question, what's the wisest thing to do? To me, the question comes, what is the wisest thing to do to reach people who don't know Jesus as their Savior? What is the wisest way to do that? How can we have the, the most spiritual impact in other people's lives? Well, thinking about that, I want to share a few thoughts with you today about sharing the gospel message. Some thoughts about the gospel message that I think are important for us to understand. And the first thing I would say to you about it is this. It is an urgent message. And the reason I say it's urgent is because it's got to get out. That, that's what I'm saying here. It's got to get out. People have got to hear this. It's not like we say, well, we have plenty of time to do this. That's why the scripture tells us that, that today is the day of salvation. Now is the accepted time. It's not like we can say, well, we got 20 years and we can get around to that. It's urgent that we, that we do that. There's an urgency about it. Paul gives us this perspective in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18, when he says, all these things are from God who brought us back to himself through what Christ Jesus did. And God has given us the privilege of urging everyone to come to his favor 
and be reconciled to him. I, that word urging just got a hold of me as I read that. There's an urgency about our message. People urgently need to hear it. People urgently need to believe it. You say, Pastor, it's early in the morning. Why are you so animated about it? Because it's urgent. It's important. This is not just like a political speech here today. This is important. It's not something we're talking about we're going to go back on later on. This is life and death. And that's the reason we call it urgent. It's because of what Christ has done for us. And someone told me, I've got to tell others. I have an urgent responsibility to tell others of what Christ Jesus can do for them. In verses 10 and 11, Paul goes on and says that we're all going to stand before Christ to give an account of our lives. And because of that, look what he says. He encourages us to work hard to win others. Do you see that? Work hard so that we can win others. Jesus said it this way in John 9. We must quickly carry out the task assigned to us by the one who sent us. Who sent us? It was the Lord himself. Because it says the night is coming when no one can work. There'll be no work. That's saying that we have limited time here. We don't have forever. The day will come when our task will be over. My, my brother who passed into eternity last night, his task is over. Do you know that the day came that the door on the ark was shut? Noah had faithfully built that ark and he had faithfully uh, communicated the message of God's uh, grace that there's a way out of judgment but judgment is coming and the the people who heard noah mocked him and they made fun of his meat of, of his message but the day came when the preaching stopped and the door of the ark was shut and i i can just imagine in my mind the many people the thousands of people who had ignored the message while there was still time they came crying to get into the safety of the ark but the door had been shut. The time was up. There was no more time. The same is true today. The Bible says that this is the time of God's grace. We have got to work while the opportunity to reach them still exists. That, that compels me. That urges me on. Secondly, it's a powerful message. All God asks us to do is share it. The power is not in us. The power is in the message. The power is in the truth. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's not how good I am at sharing it. It's not how forceful I am at sharing it. It's the truth itself that brings the power. It's simply my responsibility, your responsibility to, to bring the message. Changing hearts is up to God. That's the job of the Spirit. It's a powerful message. I say that because it is still changing lives today. That's why the Apostle Paul said in Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is still the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. 
I want you to know that I am not ashamed of the gospel because it's still working in people's lives today. If all I were doing in this church, if all I were doing up here this morning is urging people to join a church or to join a religion, I would be ashamed of that. Religion has no power to change a heart or to save anyone, but the message of Christ still has power to save, still has power to change. Hallelujah. All over this room today, there are people whose lives have been transformed by the power of the gospel. There are people in this room whose lives were bound by drugs and alcohol, people whose lives were being torn apart with immoral living, people who were dead in their sins, bound by satanic strongholds, people who lived with a false hope given them by some false religion, but they still lived every day under the continual guilt, their soul still black and dead. But when they heard about Jesus, they heard about the life of a change that he could give them. They accepted the message and the power of God filled their souls and they're changed and they're set free today because of Jesus, not because of this church, because of Jesus. We have a powerful message, folks, that still works. It's still changing lives in 2017. And all God asks you to do is simply be his mouthpiece, be his witness. You know what a witness is, don't you? Several years ago, I was summoned uh, to be a, a witness in a court case. Man, that'll dry your mouth out, let me tell you. And even though I'm used to standing up in front of people, boy, and that there wasn't very many people. There's a jury over here and a couple of folks out there. I was just scared to death. And I was sitting there, and, but as I, re, as I reflect back on that moment, all they asked me to do was share what I knew. They didn't ask me to be an expert in all areas of the, of the case or of the issue. They just said, Mr. Ayers, sh tell us what you know about what happened, what you saw, what you know. They didn't want me to speculate about anything. They didn't want my opinion about anything. Just what do you know? What, do you, what did you see? A witness is simply someone who tells what they personally know, what they saw personally, what they heard personally. They don't have to know everything. They just need to share what they know. And that's all God is asking any of us in this room to do today. Satan has convinced some of you that you have nothing to share, nothing to offer, because you fear you can't answer every conceivable question that somebody might throw at you, but it is a lie. All you have to do is tell people what Jesus has done for you. They can't argue with the fact that Jesus has changed your life, the change that's come in you, and leave the results then to God himself. Number three, it's an empowered message. That means it's more than just you and me. It, it, the Holy Spirit anoints it. When you share your testimony, your words are not your words alone. They are words that are empowered and directed by the Holy Spirit to touch the person's heart, the person's heart that you're talking to. You know, about a year ago, a year and a half ago, Carrie and I started witnessing to this waitress at a, at a particular local restaurant. We had become acquainted with her because we went there frequently. And, and, and at first, when, you know, eventually she got around to asking me what I do for a living. And, um, of course, when I shared that I was the pastor of a church, she wasn't at the table very long. Oh, that's interesting. Boom, gone, you know. And she was out of there. 
But you know what? And Carrie will tell you, it was just moments later. All of a sudden, there she is right by our table again. And she starts opening up her life, telling us things that I couldn't believe she was telling us. Opening up her life to us. Opening up her heart to us. And, and through the course of weeks, we were able to continue to interject and plant seeds of Jesus Christ and of the power of God to work within her life. And I will tell you that when she first pulled away from us, after I told her what I did for a living, when she first pulled away from us, I thought to myself, well, that's the last we'll be talking and speaking into her life. You know, it'll be over. But I was so incredibly wrong. Over and over again, when we'd eat at that restaurant, she was right there, whether she was our waitress or not, whether they seated us in her and we always went in and said, we want to see, sit in so-and-so's spot. But sometimes it wouldn't work out that way and we'd have to sit somewhere. She'd still be over at our table as much as she could talking with us. Why is it that, that she was like that? Why was she so scared immediately and then all of a sudden she was back? It's because of the Holy Spirit working. It's because God was working in her heart. It wasn't what we said. I mean, good grief, we were old enough to be her parents. But but it was because of what the Holy Spirit was doing. So it's, what I'm telling you is it's not just you being clever enough to share your thoughts in such an enticing way that nobody can resist anything that you have to say. Now, sometimes it'll happen that way, but even if it does, it's because of the Holy Spirit. I think of Stephen. Do you remember Stephen in Acts chapter 7? And he's giving witness in front of all of the Jewish leaders, and they're mad at him because of how God's been using him and everything. And, and so they haul him in in trial, and, and he just start sharing what God is doing through him and it says that they could not argue with anything he was saying and, and there was a glow about his face there was an anointing so even in that situation it was just the Holy Spirit working you're not just sharing your thoughts in fact Jesus promised in Luke chapter 12 and verse 12 that he would give us the right words to say to people when we're, we're put into situations where we don't always know what to say. The Holy Spirit will give you the right words to say. That comes from God. God told Israel that his work will always be accomplished. Zechariah 4, 6, not by might not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. It's not you. It's him. You will succeed. This is what he told Israel. Because of my spirit, even though you're few, even though you're weak, even though anybody could come and beat you in the natural, because my spirit's there, it's not going to be that way. You are going to overwhelmingly conquer because of my Holy Spirit. So folks, listen, we may not be the biggest thing in town. And we may not be the most clever at work. We may not be the richest and we may not be the strongest, but it doesn't matter. God's kingdom doesn't depend on our talent, nor does it depend on our treasure. It's still true today, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. And that's exactly what happened through the early disciples in the book of Acts. A promise that came true for them is a promise that will come true for you and me. Acts chapter 1 verse 8. But when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will receive power to testify about me with great effect. With great effect. Our message has great effect because the Spirit behind it is great. Hallelujah. And then lastly, I just want to tell you about this message that it's a sacred message. We must never forget that the gospel message is holy. 
It's sacred. This is serious business. <laughs> it just popped in my head. I, I, I once talked to a life insurance salesman who said to me that he was convinced if Jesus were to come back to earth again, he'd be a life insurance salesman. And he was serious, wasn't he? He came and met with us in our home. Now, I think selling life insurance is important. I think selling a lot of things is important. But not important like this. This, this work of God's grace is sacred. There, there's an urgency about it because there's a sacred not, sacredness about it. It's serious. We're dealing with people's souls, not just life here. And, and that is serious. And the reason I say that is because it carries eternal consequences for them. We talk a lot about heaven, but there is also judgment. There is also hell. There is also separation from God. Jesus talked more about that than he did heaven. Hell is not culturally acceptable in America today. It's not PC at all. Doesn't matter. God's word is not PC. God's word is truth. And so the condition of men's souls, the eternity of men's souls is vitally important. Now there are two things that I believe the Lord wants me to share with you about this. And, and I have to tell you that um, when, I, when I saw the weather today, and I was just so convinced that I had two things to share with you, I thought, well, God, it's just going to be Carrie here. <laughs> Did I miss you? But here you are. God bless you. So there's two things I want to share with you today. First of all, Because it takes the Spirit of God to be effective, we've got to be people who seek the Spirit of God. There's an old-fashioned word for that. Anybody want to guess what it is? Prayer. prayer. I know prayer is not the dazzling, glittery light kind of a subject, but it is the foundation upon which your, your faith will be built. If you are not a person of prayer, the Holy Spirit will not be going with you in great effect like it could be. He wants to move in and through your lives, and so we must be people who seek God. You'll never be effective for Jesus if you don't spend any time with him. I'm not trying to put you on the guilt. I'm just trying to share it with you. I had to, to learn this. I had to mature into that as I grew older. I had to understand that, you know, I had to spend time. I mean, if Carrie and I never spent any time together, we never would have been married for over 44 years. You have to spend time with one another. It's, it's vital. And you and I won't have the Spirit's power flowing through us to touch the dead if we don't seek his power in our lives. It's as simple as that. Now, a second thing that I believe God wants me to tell you is this. We are to be in the world, but not of the world. And what that means is that we cannot become like the world in its values and hope to be able to reach them for Christ. Speaking of his disciples, Jesus said in John 17, they are not of the world even 
as I am not of it. Here's what I'm saying. You've got to make sure that the influence goes in the right direction here. From you to them, not the other way around. When I talk about hanging with dead people, I'm, I'm not suggesting you become like dead people. I'm suggesting that you give them from the life that is already within your heart. That's what will change their lives. I was thinking about this uh, back in the 1950s. Uh, a, a young, naive, skinny little preacher. So, you know, I'm not talking about me. <laughs> he was pastoring a church in rural Pennsylvania. And that was his orientation. And uh, he read a magazine, our Life magazine. Some of you remember Life magazine. He was reading a Life magazine article about the gang problem in New York. And he was so touched by what he read. God just so broke his heart. It wasn't a spiritual article. But it, God used it to so break his heart, he just started crying and weeping before God. And sure enough, he moved his family into an environment totally foreign and alien to them, from rural Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania to inner city New York gangs. He didn't try to be like the gangs. He didn't even know how to be like a gang member. He simply shared the love of God empowered by the Spirit. And a miracle happened. I remember his story. He, he writes about this in a book called The Switch and the Crossblade. That was written back in the 70s. The blade and the what? Oh, yeah, what did I say? The switch. All right, it's the cross and the switchblade. That's what it is. What did I say? I said the switch and the crossblade. All right. Well, it's close. Google it. It'll come up. The cross and the switchblade is what he... And he talked about one time he was sharing with this one particular gang, and the gang leader got so angry at him, he said, if you don't shut up, and he flipped out his switchblade, he said, I am going to cut you up into a thousand pieces. And he said back to him, if you do, every piece will cry out to you, God loves you. And a miracle happened. A miracle. That hardened, most violent gang member in New York City, a man by the name of Nicky Cruz, he broke. Not by the power of a gun, he broke by the power of the gospel. And out of that, came a ministry that has now reached around the world called Teen Challenge. A ministry this church is greatly, highly involved in. All because one skinny little naive preacher by the name of David Wilkerson decided that he was willing to let God use him not to be like them, but to be God's sacred voice a very unsacred world. This is Pastor Eric. Thanks so much for checking out our Life Church podcast. 
We pray that it's a blessing to you. For more information about Life Church, check us out at lifechurchutah.com.